One of the questions I receive over and over again from listeners, potential business partners, investors, is what is it like to build a network, to build a community? What does that look like? What is that process like? And I'm really honored that on today's episode, we're actually going to speak with someone who's building a community. I love I love speaking with those who are building ecosystems, communities, networks, and really building a tribe. Because I believe in your network, in your tribe, uh, in your community, that's where you're going to find true black equity. True black equity is going to be found amongst the relationships and the connections that you build, especially on a global scale. On today's episode, we speak with author, businesswoman, Ash Alves, as she takes us through her journey of building a community of warriors. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And I am excited about this conversation. I think, let me make sure, I think this is the first ever UK co-host that we've ever had on Black Equity Podcast. I want to welcome a author, entrepreneur, Ash Alves to Black Equity Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you. Uh, For those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm Ash Ash Alves. I'm forgetting my own name. (laughs) I'm Ash Alves. I'm I'm based in the UK. I'm a writer. I'm also the founder of an organisation called Worry Reminder, where we focus on guiding black and brown people towards healing and self-authorship um my profession as well is um i do marketing and communication so that's my specialty um i'm also a politics graduate so i have a few things few hats um and i'm also an author so yeah that's me this is going to be a fun fun conversation i want to dive into um self-publishing i want to dive into uh, what you what you're seeing in the marketing space? I want to dive into what it's like to build a, a international brand. I want to dive into all those things. Yes. Um, we met via Twitter. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. And so the, this is the power of social media. I love the power of social media if it's used the right way. Okay. So tell me more about um, you said Warrior Reminder, correct? Yes. Tell me more about that. What, what, tell me more about the brand and what it all means. Okay, so Warrior Reminder is an organization, essentially a collective of people who um, are all about healing, all about looking within themselves, um, you know, looking at the landscape of their thoughts, their inner world, and essentially daring to heal, daring to, um, you know, see life in a new way. So basically, we do uh, workshops, um, talks, a lot of content creation. Um, most of our stuff is on Instagram, although we do have um, Twitter and stuff, but a lot of our stuff is on Instagram. But um, during the pandemic, um, we did a lot of our workshops um, centered around obviously healing, self-empowerment, a lot of writing to heal sort of workshops using writing as a tool to sort of um, uncover the layers of our trauma and of our pain and essentially uproot it and heal it. So that's what our mind is about. We started um, 2020, so we started um, prior to the pandemic um, and then we were hit with the pandemic. So of course that's that prevented us from doing a lot of in-person events but we adapted accordingly and done a lot of, um, you know, online workshops and were able to 
uh, thankfully build a community around um, what we do. So yeah, that's us. Well, this is interesting. What what is inspired you putting this all together? Was there some type of catalyst or uh, some type of moment that said, you know what, I need to put this brand together because there's a uh, a need for this? Hmm. That's a really good question. So I would say I've always had in my mind um, to create a space. Um, it was only until I went through my own personal uh, transitions and my own personal healing journey, which I realized that there's a need for these sorts of spaces. But I really wanted to create a space where we're able to come in as our authentic self and really like have a safe space to peel and unravel those layers. I really found, felt like when I was in my, through my personal journey, when I was looking for those spaces, I didn't often feel like I could show up as myself. So I really wanted to create that space where we could just like take off our mask and just like ask ourselves the difficult questions. So I'll say it came really from like me recognizing that it's a space that I wanted for myself and thinking, do you know what, if I wanted that, I'm sure other people would have want, would want this space. Um, and prior to even me like kind of um, deciding to actually launch for a reminder, I was in a weird space as well. Like one of the catalysts as well for launching War Reminder was I was really heavily into um, activism at the time. And one thing that I realized is that in these activist spaces, we're bringing our trauma, we're bringing, um, you know, a lot of our baggage to these spaces. And, and, you know, it's okay, we're humans, we're flawed, but it's like whilst we're thinking about changing the world, I also feel like it's important for us to do the inner work when I started to realize that and I started to realize that a lot of like political organizations and movements, social justice movements are being affected because we're not doing the inner work as well. And we're bringing that into those spaces. I started to realize that there's a need for us to heal and for me to create the spaces that I want to see. So that was another catalyst, but it really came from a personal journey of overcoming and discovering myself and then wanting to create that space for other people. You know, what I really love about your journey is if you got to really pay attention to the timeline because you were doing something before it was trendy, right? So like the last year or so, I've noticed that it's now magically, I don't know where this came from, but now it's trendy to care about uh, social issues and activism and Black people, just to be honest. Magically, the last 12 months or so, people care but you were doing the work before that was there something that you saw growing up that's that caused this oh there's something there that yeah. that, that caused you to say you know what we got to do this and then everybody else started catching on you know within the last year but what, what was happening years before okay so I grew up in a my dad, my dad had like, um, I grew up in a pan-African environment. So my dad um, was someone who always talked about Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey. I came from that sort of school of thought anyways. So I was always very rooted in knowing who I am, uh, my upbringing, you know, where I come from, understanding myself outside of just like the lens of like um, white supremacy, but also understanding how that has affected us. I was always grew up with that knowing, um, thanks to my father. Um, but I think as I got, as I was growing older, one thing I realized is that whilst I understood those things, like our position as well, being black people, I also realized that there's a lot of things in which we're like, we're causing our own pain in some ways, or at least we're not willing to sort of heal things that are in our control. So in my environment growing up, I realized like, why are the, why are the, why are these adults so dysfunctional? Mm. <laughs> like we know ourselves, yes, as black people, absolutely, but um does it mean that you're you should uh, I'm trying to think of ways to articulate my thoughts, but um does it mean that you walk around with a chip on your shoulder? I'm not talking about necessarily because of racism, but I mean like mm. I mean that you're unable to kind of see hold yourself accountable for the ways that in which you inflict pain on yourself 
doesn't mean that you then abuse others. It doesn't mean then you talk to people in a disrespectful way, that you don't hold yourself accountable for the things that you're doing and how you're participating in, you know, bringing misery into your life. So for me, like, I don't know what it was, but I suppose I know I, I see it as like the divine where like I've kind of been gifted in some way of seeing like the nuances in things. But I would say like, I always came from that thought of like, black people and and liberating black people that's been something that really matters to me and as I've become older and I started to be in these spaces um you know social justice spaces since I was young like I was in my teen years doing it I just was just like something's not right like we need to do more than this like we need to do more than this like how are we living outside of reacting and responding to what's going on to us externally what's going on inside of us so for me, that was really important. As I got older, I was just like, do you know what? These things make sense. Like the me thinking the way that I, I, I was when I was younger, like it makes sense that I'm on this trajectory. And because I went through a space of like doing a lot of internal work, I was like, let's, the two needs to be merged. The two need to come together. So it was like, okay, you care about the liberation of black people, but then you also um, think that healing is important. Let's bring the two together. So that's really what started it. Um, I suppose I've always kind of been on this journey. It only really made sense um, as of like, I'll say last year. In some ways I've always helped like black people and people of color in general, but um, the mission is kind of like more like clear as I've gotten older. Okay, I think this sets the stage for a very important conversation that I've been living to have. I don't do the whole dying to have. I, I want to live for this kind of conversation. So lately, like on places like Clubhouse or other social media platforms where people can instantly speak to each other, there seems to be a imaginary, maybe it's not imaginary, we'll, we'll explore it, but I'm going to call it an imaginary divide between Black Americans, um, Black people in the UK, Black people in countries in Africa, Black people everywhere. It's like this divide, like, hey, you're not us. You know, we're not you. You didn't go through what we went through. And everybody's like pointing fingers. And, you know, I, I, I stop and wonder, like, is this designed this way? Like, why, why would... Ash and DJ not like each other just because you're in the UK and I'm in America that 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 within itself would stop us from being able to communicate with each other so I want to kind of push here uh or explore I only want to push I want to explore this for those who are in America who don't understand the types of things that are happening in the UK that deal with racism or discrimination, can you help us put some type of context around it? Are you dealing with racism? Is, is there systematic uh, racism there? Or is it all wonderful and peaches and cream in the UK? Yeah, so um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I feel like a lot of the misunderstandings come from the fact that people don't ask each other questions and they don't want to listen. Um, I think we have to all, or understand and respect that we all have different experiences as black people. Um, you know, we all deal with white supremacy, but the manifestations of that vary and, and they, they're different according to the context and where you're living. In the UK, it's not the same as in the US. Say, for example, I know, um, you know, so you can speak on that, of course, because you're American, but, you know, we're not walking down the street and then someone gets murdered. Like, that doesn't have that's a rarity here but systematic oppression still exists and um white supremacy is still entrenched within the systems within this country so for example within the school system we are taught to completely erase um colonialism the history of colonialism the history of slavery um immigration policies which have discriminated black britain british people all of those things are completely swept out of the curriculum and we focus solely on, um, you know, white uh, philanthropists or, um, you know, white historians and, and the history of, of white British empire. 
So that's one, that's a manifestation of white supremacy. And that's something that's not necessarily overt where you're being killed on the street, but it's still something covert. And um, that's something that can mess up our minds, like growing up thinking that, do you know what, I don't even have history, you know, that um, the only thing to me is Martin Luther King, which is not even a British person, it's not even a black British person. So, so how does that as a black British person make you feel, it makes you feel like you're, you're, there's nothing to you, your, your people didn't create anything essentially. So a lot of um, black British people, um, you know, live out that pathology of not being good enough and not having anything to them. And that leads to a lot of people um, on top of the fact that there's this, there's economic policies and stuff, which I get onto, um, you know, turning to gang violence, turning to all these things and, and just also perpetuating self-hate because we're told that we're not, we're, we don't come from anything, we didn't do anything. So that's one thing, uh, the education educational system. Another thing is just a complete erasure from the media. Like we hardly exist in the media. And if we are um, represented within the media, it's simply to entertain, to be palatable to white people. Mm. We don't have any black British, black British shows or anything like that. We used to have a few. There's no mainstream black British shows. There's no, we're not represented within the mainstream whatsoever. And if we are, it's like those entertainers who are going to make themselves palatable and are absolutely not going to represent the black community. So that's another thing. Um, the third thing is within politics, like, um, you know, uh, I'll say like, uh, how can I say it? The racist, um, yeah, racist policies. So one thing that used to be when a lot of black British people came here from the Caribbean. So my family is actually from the Caribbean. Um, and they, they came to the UK, which a lot of black British people are not from the UK. We came from um, Africa or the Caribbean, came here. Um, there was immigration policies. So back in 1950s, if you, I don't know if you heard of the Windrush era, we came over here to build, we, we were, like a lot of Caribbeans came over here to the UK to build the empire, to continue to build, um, you know, the empire, build the NHS, uh, the health system here. Um, but we were also met with a lot of discrimination. There was signs which will say, which will say like, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Loads of like, yeah, like loads of things. Like even Malcolm X came to um, an area in um, the UK called Smevik, which I actually don't live far from. And he actually said that like the racism within the UK, especially Smevik at the time, which was very divided, was like abhorrent, like similar to the conditions within other places where there's discrimination outside of the UK towards black people. So there's, there's things like that. Like there was loads of immigration policies which discriminated um, a lot of like overtly like politicians and people saying that, you know, um, there's an issue with black British culture, which is the reason why they're falling behind in schools, not acknowledging the fact that like a lot of black kids just get expelled because they're automatically seen as deviant, but they'll give white kids more of a chance. Stop and search, right? Stop and search as well. Black um, people, especially black men and boys, being stopped in the street all the time. Like we see that all the time in the UK. I'm just assuming that we're doing um, drugs or, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of lots of different little things I would say, but um, there's absolutely racism here. It's just not doesn't show up in the overt ways that it shows up in the US. Mm, okay, so there's a lot that you said there. For us to no, 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 this is perfect. But the thing that stood out to me out of everything was the only thing you really learn about in school is Martin Luther King, right? I find that to be very interesting because for, for the longest, I would always put, from, from my vantage point, I would always put Martin Luther King, and Rosa Parks, for the most part, that's it. And I think now, if you were coming up, it'd probably be, they would add in Barack Obama, right? So those would be like your, your three people that you'd probably learn about. And then everyone else is just, they just disappear. And if you don't go out and learn it on your own, then you're just, 
you know, you're out of luck. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you navigate this educational system where you only learn about Martin Luther King, which technically, for the most part, had nothing to do uh, indirectly because uh, he's really fighting for humanity. So I guess, you know, I, I guess it does have something to do uh, with uh, the UK, but ind uh, indirectly um, has something to do. But how do you go through the educational system and still come out with a Black perspective? How did you keep your, because for, for I, I often feel like what's being attacked in our educational system is we're going to make you think white. If we can make you think white, then we can stop you from putting together Black policies or Black equity podcasts or Black love. And this is before they knew, oh, you know, the last year or so, hey, there's going to be an uprising, right? So prior to them knowing that, they were trying to push white perspective on us and only seeing things from a white perspective. So how do you use, you know, sit, sit in front of me and have this Black perspective without them handing it to you? I mean, I know you talked about your dad. Did you have to go do your own self-studies? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the reality is, and the sad reality is that a lot of people who do come out of these educational systems um, don't aren't equipped with that foundation of, okay, like, this is who I am, this is where I come from, because they're not taught it. So they have to go towards self-study, but not everyone does that. So yeah, I did. I, I had to learn a lot myself. I had to do a lot of research looking at figures in the UK as well, like Claudia Jones, um, you know, looking at other people, and um, even like looking at um, US black figures or even like black political um, leaders, African leaders, um, like Thomas Sankara, things like that. Like I had to do a lot of self-research um, myself because I think I already had that foundation. It equipped me for having that seed I think sometimes just being planted that seed is what helps you to move towards it but absolutely a lot of self-study like coming out of school I was like do you know what something's not right like let me look into this um so yeah a lot of self-study I had to do okay so I'm glad we um touched on this topic I think it, it lays a really great foundation for understanding what a warrior mindset is right and having that reminder of, hey, um, we have work to do. Uh, we're... The thing about a warrior is, and being reminded, is you have to know that you're in the middle of a war, right? Many yeah. people don't think they're in the middle. They think everything is fine. There's no war going on. There's no fight. Everything is wonderful. Everybody's free. Everything is great. But what I found through just my little bit of studies is the war is in... Um, what are we allowed to acquire? What are we not allowed to acquire? What are we allowed to know? What are we not allowed to know? What can we access? What can we not access? It's these invisible, it's an invisible war. A lot of it isn't necessarily, and, and of course, you, you know, you talked about in America where um, unfortunately there's a lot of death uh, coming from the hand of police or just white people in general. Uh, deciding to take lives but other than that tangible side most everything else is invisible and if you're not paying attention to it you'll just go along with it um and so it leads me to wondering indirectly how does this lead you to write your book how does that warrior reminder lead you to put a uh, pen to paper or maybe pencil and decide hey I need to put my thoughts together in an organized way and give it to the world. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, <laughs> I like answering this question for one reason, because I didn't have the intention of creating a book when I first started to write. So, and when, um, I've always had in my mind, like when you're a young kid, you're just like, oh, I'd love to write a book one day. I've absolutely had that. I think a lot of people <laughs> have, have had that um, in their minds. Yeah, so exactly. So I've always had that in my head, but like the, the things within the book, the writings within the book actually came from like personal revelations that I went through myself. 
there were lessons that I were learning that I was learning whilst I was on my healing journey. So it really began by me writing to myself, um, really trying to understand the chaos that was going on in my mind, what I was going through. Because at the time when I started to write, I was depressed. I was in a really low state. Um, there was a lot going on in, in my environment. I come from like a low class background in terms of financially. There's a lot of, um, you know, for anyone who has as well, they understand that there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of sometimes feeling like hopelessness sometimes. So coming from that and also just being someone who's always been a high achiever as well. It's like, how do you navigate that when you constantly feel like there's so much blocks and obstacles that get in your way? I just did a lot of writing and reflecting. And as I was like learning things throughout my journey, I started to like go, I, I went through a phase where I was just going through my writings and I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. And then I decided to blog. I started to write um write blog posts about like my experiences and kind of give other people tips. Um so basically like I was learning and I was also helping other people whilst they were learning learning as well. Um and then one day I was just like do you know what like people are resonating with my work like why not create something like which is compiled in like a book um where people can like just access it on a day-to-day -day basis um for guidance for reinsurance um to gain a sense of peace clarity um and, and you know I've always liked affirmation books books where it's like empowering and encouraging so I was like yeah let's let's create it so that's really what prompted that it really was not necessarily intentional and then it became intentional for me to create something so yeah well you mentioned that you had been getting positive feedback before uh actually putting the book together tell me about that but i think that's important for those who are listening uh to this who may want to write their own book or putting it together any type of project before you actually put together uh, the actual book you are receiving feedback about your work. So tell me a little bit about that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the feedback helped me to realize that I'm also kind of on the path, on the right path. And this is something that people are interested in. But outside of that feedback, I do feel like if you feel like inside that you are called towards something, then absolutely do that. Um, but yeah, I would get like good feedback on my blog. Um, and you know just write blog posts and people just say you know I really resonate with this and that for me was just that confirmation that you know what people will be interested in the book <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but yes yeah, so I just sneeze guys <laughs> um, <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> but um but yeah basically I think the feedback is definitely important because it also just like reinforces like do you know what yeah people will be interested in this Okay, so well, what is the name of the book? So people can actually, we're going to have the, the link in the show notes as well. But what is the name of the book? And where can they go to actually uh, access it? Yeah, so the name of the book is called Warrior, A Warrior's Reminder, um, a collection of healing and self-empowerment reminders. And they can purchase it on Amazon. It's available on Amazon internationally so if you just type in the name and warriors reminder you they'll be able to find it there awesome okay so everybody head to the show notes uh click on the link access the book tell us what you think i think you will enjoy it all right so now i want to pivot just a little bit because you and i have been having these hip-hop conversations okay <laughs> yes. right and we gotta we gotta put this on i call this on wax right this right here, the podcast is on wax, just so when you come back in the future, we can revisit what we talked about. Now, for those listening, I am going to ask about some self-publishing questions in a little bit, but I want to make sure we get some hip-hop questions in here. Okay. What is your top five? And I, I want to get this perspective, because you in the UK, so I want to see, well, how do you view this thing? Your top five rappers of all time. Oh, okay. Um, okay, definitely, definitely Jay Z, definitely Nas. Okay. Um, rappers, Kendrick, okay. Kendrick Lamar. 
Um, I listen to I listen to so many different um, rappers, so I'm just trying to think who else. Take all the time you need. Take all the time you need. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Okay, um, I just skipped different songs, um, so I'm just trying to think who else do I listen to. I'm getting blocked. Um, uh, thingy blocked now. Um, I don't know. Okay, we got Jay Z, Nas, Kendrick. Who else comes to mind? Okay, um, uh, Mob Deep. I'm just gonna say both of them, Prodigy, okay. and yeah, okay. I can work with that. Um, who else? So I'm on four, right? I've got one more on left. Four. Mm -hmm. Okay, who do who else do I listen to? Mm, that number five spot is always tough. I know it is. I'm trying to think of like, because trying to think, because I'm not thinking about, you're thinking about individuals, but the thing is like, who I personally listen to. So I love Fonte, but he's not top five for everyone. Do you get what I mean? So well, we ain't talking about everyone. We're talking about you. Okay, for me, I Fonte, because I love Little Brother. So I'll say Fonte. Okay, so okay, we have never talked about Little Brother. You know, Little Brother is one of my favorite groups. Oh, really? Well, yes, they're, from like... North, they're from North Carolina. Oh, really? And I'm in North Carolina. Oh, yeah, you said you was in North Carolina. Yes, yes. Okay, so I can understand Fonte. That makes perfect sense. So here's my top five as of today. Okay. Okay. Number one, Tupac. Oh, shit. Not too late. Don't try, don't, don't try to. Don't try to add Pac now. I, can, I was gonna just say, oh my gosh, how did I forget Biggie? It's okay. You forgot about Tupac. It's okay. Well, it's on the wax. You forgot. Okay, okay. 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 Number two is Nas. Number three, three and four, I go back and forth with. Right now is Jay Z. Number four is Lupe Fiasco. And number five is Lauren Hill. Those are my five right now. Okay, that's that's a good pick. That's a good Thank pick. You. Thank you. I, I I think about this weekly. Like every time I'm putting together the playlist, I'm praying somebody <laughs> drops an album, and I say, "Ooh, they can move up," but it doesn't happen often, right? Jay Z for the longest time was not in my top five, but something about that four 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 album special to me i feel like he's growing up more i feel like some of the stuff he had in the past didn't really resonate with me it was kind of, i mean it was cool for what it was but for me it was kind of childish you know this whole gangster you know persona or whatever um it just wasn't it's you know but you know i'm saying that and yet tupac's my number one and he's talking about thug life so i guess it's it's all in perspective but yeah. right now those are my five and i, I really feel like Lori hill arguably can rap better than all of these people Problem is, she only has one album. That's one, true. That true. But her one album is probably one of the best albums of all time. And I'm talking about all genres. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, arguably, is a top three album of all time. And so because of that, it scoops her up into the top five. It's hard to get Lauryn Hill out of the top five. That's okay. true. true. Any final yeah. thoughts on, on that before we head over to some more questions? Well, I was just, I'm just upset that I didn't say Biggie because Biggie's definitely one of my favorite. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm sad. I might have to kick someone out of my list. <laughs> who's, who's leaving the list? Is it Mob Deep? Is it Fonte? Is it Kendrick? Nas? Jay-Z? Who's, who's might, leaving? It might be Mob Deep. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. It's because I love the, the thing is because I love um Fonte in foreign ex the foreign exchange as well. So it's like yeah. I don't want to like I just love that vibe. This yeah. you know, so uh, I I might have to kick out Mob Deep even though. Okay. I'm so I've been wanting to ask you this for the last few weeks because when you first start telling me about the music you like, I was shocked. Because here you here you are talking all proper with this English accent, right? And then you like start telling me the music you listen to. And I'm like, wait, huh? 
Like, this is some hardcore hip hop. How did you <laughs> get into, let's just say, a Mob Deep? Like, I'm thinking about the Hell on Earth album. Uh, like, they're very gritty rappers. So I'm just trying to figure out how did that enter into your world? That's so funny. So, um, my parents, honestly, I would say, I would say that my parents are quite young. So, mm-hmm. like, they grew up in, like, obviously, they really relished in, like, the 90s era. So, okay. when I was young, I would just hear, like, certain, certain songs. So, for me, I think it was because of that. But I don't know, like, I just, I just always just felt like I, ne- I, I couldn't resonate with, obviously, some of the experiences because die in my life I'm not gonna fake it right but I just could resonate with just being like you're poor you just you ain't got much you just do you know what I mean like I could really resonate with that so I think for me it's just that and I just love the sounds like I love the beats love how the songs are produced Uh, it's just a vibe like yeah okay so then my follow-up question to that is is there no one in the entire UK that has caught your eye to make it into your top five? What is going on in the UK rap scene where nobody in the entire UK is in your top five? Do you know what? There are good rappers in the UK, I'm not gonna lie. So like, but more, there's one little, have you heard of Little Sims? No, I have not. Little, say it again. Little little, little Sims, so. Little Sims, okay. She's so good, she's so. Oh, it's a woman. Yeah, woman, yeah. Okay. She's so good. I love her so much. It's, do you know what it is? I think I just have more history. And in terms of, like, discography, I know more of those artists that I mentioned yeah. versus other ones where I can't say, like, see where you can just name and name the album. Like, there's no one I can say this album and this, 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 this song, like, yeah. is what, like, I resonate, like, I love. It's like I know those artists are good, but I can't, like, I just can't think of like more than two where I can say this album, this, this, this. But there are really good like neo soul, like soul sort of jazzy sort of um, bands in the UK. There's really, really good ones. There's really good rappers here. Like it's just for me, like I just have more history with the other ones. Well, how how is uh, the radio? Like when you're listening to the radio uh in the UK is it more American influence is it balance between American and UK artists or is it more UK artists how's that that vibe firstly the radio is trash in the UK it's so bad but um (laughs) it's pretty it's trash but um it's 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 a combination of the two it's a combination Mm -hmm. there's a lot of more hip I mean pop songs which isn't necessarily a bad thing but like it's just yeah there's a lot of UK songs to be fair played on the radio okay okay so for those who want to know more about uh you putting your book together I want to give them a little bit more maybe I'll ask a couple more hip-hop questions at the end but so when you're putting this book together what is the process for self-publishing what exactly do, do, does someone need to be thinking about when they're putting together a book? Okay, so that's um, a good question. So first of all, um, I created the book through Amazon KDP. So anyone has access to that. So if you go on, if you type in KDP, which is called Kindle Direct Publishing, I think it's called, um you can go in there and you can literally upload your pdf i don't know if that's what you call it in the u.s mm-hmm. yes so you upload your pdf and you can create um you can create your book it essentially has a step-by-step process as to how to create the physical copy of the book now amazon manufactures the book so essentially all you need to do is follow all the steps to publishing so in terms of like what i i had things that i had to consider um a few things was the measurement of the book how big how how wide do you want the book to be doing a bit of research about that so like looking at like book measurements like there's youtube videos you could just google it find out your book measurements um that's one thing even when you are on kdp it also gives you like a guide of the measurements of the book so you can also use those uh, measurements second thing i'll say is 
um, in terms of like actually the formatting of the book like within it. So there's a lot of like guidelines as well on KDP as to how to format the book. But essentially what I did was had my PDF. Um, I kind of moved things around. So like each like PDF page, like A4 page, is that what you call it in the, the so yeah, yeah, you're good. You go on. We're on the same page. Okay, so each A4 page is essentially the page of the book, right? So mm-hmm. obviously the page of the book will have like the page number at the bottom and then you have the text and you have your title at the top. So I would formulate, like I would write down, I would type out like how I want the book to look on each A4 paper. Um, and then there's a tool on Amazon KDP where you can upload your PDF document and then it will show you what it will look like if it's printed. And it will show you if there's any errors with how it would get printed. So I basically just followed the guidance and then just moved things around accordingly. So a few things to consider, yes, the formatting of the book, but you can play around with that because like, like I said, there's guidance on KDP. Um, think about um, the cover art as well. Like, do you want to get someone, do you want to create it yourself? Um, do you want to get someone to create it for you? Do you guys have Fiverr? Yes. Yeah, so um, one thing that people do is just get like someone to create the book art on Fiverr. So that's one thing that you guys, um, that people can do. They want to create it themselves. I created everything myself. I created the cover myself. Oh, I was nice. like, I'm, I'm going to save coins, okay? I'm saving my <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, so I was like, um, but to be fair, let me not lie. I had issues with, um, oh, I, I just couldn't, when I was getting someone to design it, I just couldn't get them to do it the way that I wanted. So I was like, you know what? I just did it myself. Do it myself, yeah. Um, so I did it through Canva, which a lot of people yeah. have access to. You can, you can literally look at the measurements on KDP as to um, how to create the book cover. And you can literally put those measurements in Canva and create the book cover yourself. Honestly, there's so many so much information on the internet. Like you don't yeah. like the process is was a bit difficult in terms of figuring out the measurements and stuff. But if you just take your time with it and go through the guide guidelines on Amazon, it's possible. Other things you need to think about when you produce a book is getting someone to edit it. So mm-hmm. um, you know you can write down your book and um, you can write create your book. But then it's a really wise idea to get someone to look over it, maybe a friend, maybe actually pay for an editor. I paid for an editor um, myself. I found one online and they were able to go through the book and just edit anything. So you need to think about things like that. You need to also um, make sure that you put like your copyrighted things in your book. So just. Um, I don't know if you have you seen the front of a book where they have like the copyright things like information about like you know you shouldn't reproduce this etc so just get your copyright message together literally look at any book that you you have and think okay literally just replicate it and just put your own details on it um so yeah I'll say that so get your copyright message together um create your create your scripts um, create the pdf for it upload it onto KDP, check your book formatting um, through KDP, um, create your cover. And yeah, I'll say that's, that's it. There's a lot of little nitty gritty things. I would have to probably come on again to really go into detail, but I would say like there's a lot of information online, but literally go and uh, sign up for KDP Amazon. Um, and it's, a lot of it is very self-explanatory. Well, I look forward to having exclusive documentary rights when you write your second book. So I can just document what you're doing, you know, through the entire process. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing yes. that out there. <laughs> but what I, what I love about what you're saying is this. I mean, of course, it's cool that you're self-publishing and you have all the details. But what I really love is you're, if, if people are reading between the lines, there's nothing stopping anyone from creating anything that they want to create, right? That's really, when we get down to the, the, the brass tacks, um, it really comes down to having an idea and then deciding to, to go through with that idea and then you know follow through and putting it together. That's what publishing is, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, 
it's because you and I could have said, yeah, we'll do a podcast episode. And then we just never talk. And then so the podcast episode never happens. And then no episode ever happens because we said one thing, but then another thing or the, the thing that we said never happened. So it really comes down to we have an idea. We're going to execute on that idea. And then we're going to make sure that it's given to the world. And that's what I'm hearing through everything you're saying. There's nothing stopping anyone from being their, the best version of themselves, but themselves. And it brings up a part that you talk about, I believe it's in your book, please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this idea of like imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Where people say, well, I'm, you know, I can't put a book together. I'm not an author. No, you know, I don't, you know, no one's going to believe that. Or, you know, I'm not a podcaster. No one will ever believe anything I have to say. And a lot of times we let other people get into our heads and decide for us if we are this or we aren't that. How did you overcome this thing of imposter syndrome to make sure that you execute on your ideas? Mm. So I think the f- um, I love the fact that you, you're seeing it from that perspective. I will say the first thing is understanding that whatever you go after, it's not always going to be easy. I think we have this idea that, you know, once you encounter one difficulty along, um, whilst you're on the path of achieving said goal, that it means that you should fail. I mean, sorry, not fail, but you should fall back um, and you should not achieve it. So one thing that I had to accept was that whilst I'm publishing, there are going to be difficulties. I'm going to figure out and think it's, you know, complicated to find the measurements and, you know, the, the book art, like I said, I was having issues with the book art. You know, there's all these things that come up, but it's understanding that you have to push through and it's a testament to your character, to your um, your ability to be courageous in the, in the face of adversity um, and power through to actually proceed and just continue to see that idea into fruition. So it's accepted that that's going to be the case. I think that was one thing that was, that fundamentally shifted for me um, it's not always going to be easy, especially things you're passionate about. People think that because you're passionate about it, it you're not going to encounter obstacles. Absolutely, you will. So I think that was one thing. And then the second thing was definitely like a mindset, sh- a mindset shift um, and an emotional shift, really, as um, really understanding that I am an authority over my life. Mm. And, and I am fully... I am accredited in my experience. Yes. So, yeah, I'm accredited in my experience. So you may not be able to resonate with what I've got to say, and that's okay. But my lens is valid. The way I see the world is valid because it's coming from me. If I understand that I'm inherently worthy and I'm inherently valuable, then what I've got to say is valuable. So understanding that fundamentally, whatever you got to say is of value, not to everyone, but to someone means that I'm able to show up and to do that podcast, to do that book, because it's going to resonate with someone. And ultimately, it's valid. What I've got to say is valid. My experiences are valid. So it's understanding that you may not be um, you may not be seen as a professional in the eyes of of certain people, but some people will resonate with what you've got to say. And that's, and ultimately because it's come from you, it's valid anyway. So I think that was really another thing that really shifted for me. Um, yeah, I'll say those two are the main things. Ash, I love what you just said. I am the authority over my life. I love that. Okay, mm. so before we head out, I have to ask this because this is a very important question. This may be a $1.9 million question. When I touch down in your city, Birmingham, where do I go to eat, especially Black-owned? <laughs> what restaurant do I go to? What, I need to know this. Where should I go to actually get some good food in your city? Oh, my God. Okay. If you was coming to my city, you might have to go to a Caribbean restaurant. Oh, what's it called? See, my name's my... Okay. <laughs> Um, Formula, there's this Formula. Caribbean, um, there's this Caribbean food place called Formula in Birmingham, which is really nice. They got really nice Caribbean food. I can only say Caribbean because obviously I'm Caribbean and I eat Caribbean food. Um, 
<laughs> now you say you're Caribbean. Which which Caribbean are you? Where? Where? Okay, so my family's from Jamaica and St. Kitts. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But and I'm so, born in the UK though. And what I'm sorry, what was the last part? Um I, I'm born in the UK. Oh, you're born in the UK. Okay. But you say go to Formula, they have Caribbean food. What dish do I get there? Okay. Do you eat meat? Yes, I do. Okay, so oxtail um, and rice and peas. Okay, and okay. You can get near their sides. Okay, all right. I'm right. You know, I'm writing this down. All right, formula, oxtail, rice and peas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. All right, and is this black owned? Yeah, it's black owned. Of course oh, that's black. what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Is there a second suggestion? I feel like you have one more you want to say. Oh, no, it's like, I'll get back to you. I've got a list of them, yeah. I just, my my brain's like a sieve. Like, I forget things. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. But that was, that's, to me, that's golden because it's you want to understand the music in the area. You want to understand the food in the area. And then when I touch down, I want to understand, well, you know, what uh, historical artifact should I go see, right? Or... What should I learn about this area? So if I go to the UK, what is a must-see? Whether it be a museum, whether it be a building, whether it be anything, whatever it may be, I might not even be thinking uh, about what it could be. What is a must-see that I have to go look at or be a part of in your area? Well, um, I would say, sorry, there's like an ice cream van um, in, in the oh, area. Oh, the ice cream man came in the middle of the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. Now I have ice cream vans because it's summer and it's just like, I don't see no kids going outside to the ice cream van, so I don't know how it's interesting as well. Do you? Do you? Um, I would say, to be honest, in London to be in particular, there's loads, there's loads like um, there's loads of museums. There's like a science museum. There's the British Museum. Um, in like in like the black areas, there's also like a black a black history um, like a place where like they have like loads of like books, black history books, um, and art exhibitions. I forgot the name of it. It literally just came on my head. But it's in Brixton. Sorry, it's in Brixton. They also have a really good jazz cafe in Camden. I'm in the UK and they have like really good like jazz shows and stuff like that there. They also have these markets in Camden markets where like you can just go around, you can get some nice food. There's food from all over the world there and there's like different markets. There's loads of places. Like if you ever come, just let me know and I'll I'll tell you where to go. You you will know before I get that I'm on my way. Now, uh, have you been to the United States? Yeah, I have actually. Okay, where, where did you go? I went to New York. I went okay. to a Flatbush, um, New York, for a couple of days. Okay, and that, and that's all. That, that's the only place you've been so far. Yeah, I've not. I've not been. I need to come again. I've got family in. The, I've got family while well, they're in New York. But, okay. Um, but yeah, I definitely need to come again. Well, the the reason why I asked that is, you know, before we began the podcast, I was telling you, I I, I noticed that. I'm falling in love with cities that aren't necessarily the most popular cities. So like, you know, Nigeria, they have Lagos and nothing. When I hear about Lagos, it's not like, oh, I got to go. But then I was talking to people in Nigeria and they were talking about maybe some of the, you know, top five cities in the area that have some other things to them that I might find exciting. So you went to New York, which is technically the biggest city in the United States. So I'm going to challenge you to go to like the up and coming cities, Um, like an up and coming city would be like a like a Birmingham, Alabama. Right. Um, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I would challenge you to do that. Like instead of going to Miami, um, maybe look at um, like Tampa Bay as an option. So yeah, I'm challenging people to let's look at the secondary cities in our areas and the third 
uh, city in our areas. Because to me, those are the ones that are on the rise. People are more hungry and they tend to want to work with you because they know like, you know, if we don't treat this person right, they're going to go up to New York or they're going to go up to London or they're going to go yeah. up to Lagos or wherever or Cape Town, you know, South Africa. So I'm really putting this out there. Secondary cities, third cities, fourth cities, let's give them some love. Um, that's where you're going to find me at. You probably won't see me in New York often. Uh, you know, I do want to go do a couple of plays. Um, but anyway, I want to thank you. Oh, did you have something well, to say? First of, all, first of all, if I if I come, I'll definitely let you know because yeah. I would love to go to like another city. Like I love traveling in general, so I'll definitely be there at some point in the future. I have would have no idea where to go, like in terms of of around, but um. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to figure something out. We have to figure out something that uh, that we both relate on that we can just go experience and yes. have that, that yeah. uh, experience together. Absolutely, looking forward right. to it. Yes, I look forward to it as well. So before we head out, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time out to have this conversation, for being open to uh, communicating via social media, and then taking social media to actually having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, and uh, hopefully it, it blossoms into more conversations, more connections, more opportunities um, for both sides. And it's funny, we're, we're on two different sides of the world, kind of, and yet there's a lot of similarities between our cultures, between the way we think, the, the experiences that we've had. And so I really want to challenge everyone listening, you don't have to just stay in your own little cocoon of, of people in your own little small town, explore the world and find people that you resonate with and you can build a tribe with. Uh, any final thoughts for up and coming authors, up and coming entrepreneurs? Um, the, the floor is yours to provide some closing thoughts. I would just say, well, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak um, on your platform. It's been a pleasure. It's really nice to connect with you. And like you said, speak to people outside of your cocoon, but um, also you guys, you know, resonate with people across the world. So it's really nice. Um, in terms of just lasting thoughts, I would just say to seek validation within. And if you feel called to do something, then do it. And just move from that space of like internal knowing that this is what I'm being called to do. Don't worry too much about the result. Just move from that space of like, I am being called to do this and therefore it is valid. So I'll say mm. that. Mm, I love that. All right. Ash Alves, thank you so much for coming on Black Equity Podcast. Uh, it's been an honor. The doors are open. Anytime you want to come back, especially for that second book, uh, we would love to have you and uh, continue the conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're very welcome. And next time, don't forget about Tupac, okay? <laughs> Pot has to be somewhere in the... You don't have to put them on a list. I literally... Like, okay, cool. I, I'll remember for next time. I feel... I feel like we need to redo that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next time we'll go through it again. And yeah. like I said, you don't have to put them on the list, but just mention them a little bit and say, you know, I would put okay. Pac on, but I'm going to put Biggie on. That's fine. I can work with that. At least he's mentioned okay. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'm sorry, enough. I'm sorry. No, you ain't got to apologize. You ain't got to apologize. Uh, it's been an honor. Uh, I will talk to you again very, very soon. conversation with Ash Alves. I want you to read her book. I actually picked up her book a couple weeks ago uh, preparing for this episode. And man, check out the book. There's so many gems in there. There was actually a, a point in my life and really recently where I, I kind of wasn't sure if I had what it took to do the things that I wanted to accomplish. And it was a warrior's reminder uh, as a concept, as a organization, uh, and as an energy that really woke me back up. And I think this book embodies that 
And so I would definitely recommend this to everyone out there who needs that reminder of the warrior that's inside of you. If you love this episode, uh, make sure you leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can follow us on Instagram at uh, Black Equity Network. And also, if you want to join our text community and be alerted with opportunities uh, or present your opportunities, now is the time to do that. You can simply text the word equity uh, to the following number. Okay, grab your pen. 305-590-5618. Once again, that's 305-590-5618. Text equity to that number. Let's get you within our community. So then when great opportunities come, you'll be the first one to know about it. What we've been doing on social media is wonderful. But where we're headed is going to be independent of any other organization. We're going to be able to speak directly to you. And this is going to be one of the ways we do it. I want to thank Ash Alves one more time for a great episode, a great conversation, and more importantly, a great connection. I do not take connections lightly. Without belonging to point, I want to thank you all for listening and I'll talk to you soon.